Welcome to How Not to DM. I'm your host, Derek. Thanks for joining me on my quest to interview the very best dungeon masters on this plane of existence. Here's a quick word from our sponsors. From frozen tundras to vast deserts to uncharted jungle islands, follow the clues to the Tomb of Hagamoth. Dire Destiny Books presents a classic adventure in a new expanded format with five unique dungeons, dozens of memorable NPCs, and a host of new foes, magic items, spells, and player options. Available now on DMs Guild from Dire Destiny Books, and the adventure continues at DireDestiny.com. Hey online D&D players, tired of cumbersome anonymous character sheets or hefty subscription fees? Dwarven Academy solves that for you. Dwarven Academy is an intuitive and eye-pleasing character builder for D&D 5e devised to help all players easily navigate the game's complex rule system. Best of all, it's free. Head to dwarven.academy to build your next character and follow them on Twitter, Discord, and Patreon. Now let's get to our guest intro. This episode's guest is Julian from Darkvale Studio. Julian and his team have been working non-stop on their brand new TTRPG, Dark Veil. We talked about creating a TTRPG from the ground up, what it's like to start and run a game publishing company, and much more. Enjoy! I've been into tabletop role-playing games for going on about 20 years. I got into them in college. I've always wanted to play role-playing games, tabletop games specifically in high school. And there was always the the group that played, and this is going back to the mid nineties. And there was a group that played in my, my school and they were very, very close knit. And even though I was friends with most of those uh, individuals, I wasn't close enough to get into the game. So I, I was, always wanting, but never quite there, never quite experienced what it was like to play in a role-playing game. And I was always a theater kid into improv and into acting and writing my own plays even as early as high school. And I went to college and actually had a theater degree, uh, graduated in college, production and design and acting uh, dual degree and became an actor for a short period of time and worked in film industry for about 10 years. But it was about my midway through my freshman year that my college roommate, was playing in a D&D campaign and said, you got to come play. And for whatever reason, at that point, I was kind of like, ah, reluctantly, I don't really, I got other things I want to go, you know, bounce around campus and do some other stuff. And then inevitably by, you know, uh, many weeks of, of coaxing me in, uh, I finally went to this, you know, very stereotypical off-campus house with the haze when you walk into the room, not from you know, smoke or anything. It was just this haze of, you know, the the curtains had been drawn for a long time. The dust had not quite settled. It was just in the air. And it was this very like tome upon tome of of role-playing game in the corner on a bookshelf. Um the big wooden table, you know, this the cushions that it looked like they've been cemented into by people sitting on them for, you know, days on end. And it was just that was the the perfect introduction into Dungeons and Dragons for me, an introduction into role-playing games. And that was where I, you know, I, I learned on 3.0 and I just got hooked and I got hooked to the story and the idea that you could pretty much do just about anything 
provided the rules allowed you to do it and the storyteller allowed you to do it. From there, uh, as I got older, I, I went into the film industry and and I was you know doing all sorts of things within the film industry. And and as I progressed over the years, I eventually wanted to try something different. The film industry kind of got a little culturally stale and wanted to get out and do something that I loved more. And so I decided I was going to take a hobby of this homebrew that over years and years had become something more and spent about five years testing the heck out of a game that became uh, my first role-playing game that I released uh, around 2014 uh, called Chromor, the role-playing game. And did a Kickstarter and did everything you know you're supposed to do, and the only thing that I didn't know was you're not supposed to do it all by yourself. So that became the the lesson learned is put your ego aside and and start sharing the wealth. And so a couple of years went by after uh, that book had come out. Did a lot of conventions to promote it. Uh, had an adventure module go out that was fairly a good size. Went to Gen Con a couple times, and then I uh, kind of got out of it for for some other reasons and that was around 2015 that i got out of ttrpgs the question i love asking everyone that comes on the show just because it yields the most interesting conversations is what are some of the worst mistakes that you remember making and it could be back in your college days it could be as recent as playing through one shots of you know dark veil but yeah what are some things that come to mind when you think about the the worst mistakes you have made i think just not listening to the players that's something when, when you're starting out, you want to try so hard to deliver such a good story. I, I wanted to tell a story so much that I was trying too hard to do that. And I wasn't always listening to what the players wanted. And I was often railroading them. I was often you know, putting them in a box and saying, well, there's only one way out of this box. You've got to do that one thing. And it was probably not until I started kind of hacking my own homebrew games that I realized I didn't have the fallback of all of this lore or content from another game, and I had to rely on the players. And I had to rely on them to create the story themselves, and then for me to have some sort of background story that was going on that I could just say, okay, well, the world is happening. Whatever you do within that universe is now the story. But the big bad is going to be going on in the background. That city's still going to burn whether or not you go to it or not. And that kind of helped me learn to listen to the players and to start letting them lead. And that was really the, the, the worst mistake I could have made. And I did it probably for years. And I just, I didn't know any better. That's a very interesting point you made about, you know, the, the stuff going on in the background. I guess a lot of the time when I have thought about the big or, or kind of put big decisions in front of my parties and they choose something. A lot of the fun for me is deciding how the world is going to react, but I guess I kind of focus more on a, a regional or, or that kind of level when they're making these decisions. But yeah, thinking about the kind of overarching story that's happening in the background is definitely part of the fun, and it is it is the part that you kind of have the most latitude where player choices may not, I don't know, I don't want to say interrupt because obviously the game is for them, but... Uh, it is the the part that they might impact the least most of the time. So yeah, it, an interesting way to look at things, but I, I really like it. What are some other of your favorite encounters that come to mind when you think about uh, stuff that you planned or, or designed that your players got to interact with and that are particularly memorable? So one of the things 
I'm often finding myself in is running games at a convention or running games for first timers. So not necessarily first time role playing games, but but a lot of them are first time role playing game. So they have to be easy to engage with. The story has to be simplistic. And I find that the the best encounters are always ones that involve elevation or some form of movement. If you can force movement on the player where the player doesn't have to move themselves, they are now forced to make choices that are purposeful for their story. Their character has to make a decision because the environment around them is changing. Any GM that's done a volcano or done an earthquake, the players have to react. If they stand still, they're not going to survive it. They're, you know, Something bad is going to happen. I find that when I'm running a game for first timers at a convention, or I've got to do something off the cuff, hey, can you run this game? It's in an hour, there's six players, none of them have played a TTRPG before. Okay. <laughs> what do I do quickly that can, one, teach them the rules, two, get them playing and having fun, and three, have a holistic arc to this story that may only last two, three hours. I need to somehow have a beginning and an end, leave them wanting more, and want them coming back to games. Want them to have some sort of adventure that they'll always remember something epic, but also feel like they've completed something. It can't just like end. Okay, well, you know, thanks everybody. That's all we have for today. Catch us next time on the episode that was canceled. It's gotta, it's gotta finish. And so what I often do is I'll throw players into like an airship or I'll throw players into a seafaring ship. I don't love seafaring ships as much. I think airships are better because you have that elevation. And or I'll throw players onto a moving train. I think all of those are great starts and hooks to get the players involved because there's always something you can move that vehicle to or you can interact with from the outside that can introduce story that doesn't feel like the hand of God. It feels like this is the environment around you and that's just there. A big part about running games and playing games is needing to be quick on your feet, be thinking of interesting things to do and, and say and you know stuff to throw at your parties. So what is an example uh, as a player or as a DM or GM of improv that has really stuck with you that was a lot of fun and interesting in the moment? It's not so much a particular moment. It is more of just running games now are all improv for me. And, and that's really stylistically just something that's a lot of fun. I, I was thinking back originally, and my first game of D&D, I rolled two natural 20s as a fighter character attempting to light my arrow on fire and fire it down a dark, narrow alley in the, like this dungeon crawl. And I remember at the time the GM basically fighting with me and saying, well, you can't do that. And I was like, why can't I do it? Because you're a level one fighter. He's <laughs> like, what do you mean I'm a level one fighter? Doesn't that mean I know how to you know, pull some oil out of my pack and put it on a rag and, and light it on fire and put it on the front of an arrow and shoot it down an alley? Well, you can roll for it, but it's not something I think you'll be able to do. And that I remember that moment from being challenged of not being able to do something that was creative because you couldn't see down the alley. And I shot the arrow down the alley, rolled a d20, and it rolled a 20. And then they went, okay, we'll roll it again. And so I rolled it again, and it rolled another 20. And I can't remember what the third number was, but it was the first interesting thing I did improv uh, with a character. And then the storyteller said, okay, and the goat men take a niche. And I remember that line, and I'll always remember that line because there was a flaming goat man on the other side because I you know, critted them and lit them on fire. And to me, that's one of these like moments of improv where if I was a storyteller and blocked my player from doing that because the stats said I couldn't, 
what a ruined moment for a player to have that moment of experience that moved the story forward and had this memorable moment for me 20 years on. And so those kind of things stick with me. And now it's about let the player do whatever they want to do. Find something that allows them to roll for it. Whether they critically fail it or not, there's still story there. Um, even in a failure, there's story. So yeah, improv is, is, is a huge part of game design for me. That's a fun story. I'm glad your original DM let you do it because like you said, maybe you would have been turned off and just never gone down this path. Yeah, what a horrible thing to do to a player in a group as a storyteller or a GM is to prevent them from doing something. It's one thing if they want to do something crazy that the game just doesn't allow. You know, let them be creative and find the mechanic to allow them to do it. If they roll and the game says, no, you don't do it, well, then they've, they've tried. And at least they've tried to do it and the game has told them no. You need to let them be creative because this game is for them. It's, I mean, it's for you to enjoy and, and, and to be that storyteller, that game runner. But the game is for them to bring them and let them become 20 years later, somebody making a TTRPG and, and has built their own company to do it. <laughs> you know, like let them develop on their own to become something great down the line in this community. And if you try to I don't know, squash that uniqueness of their adventure, you know, then they may never continue. They may never come back. Here's some more awesome sponsors of the show. My Sound Delve is a player-centric sound effect app that improves immersion. What does your character sound like? Match their actions with more than 2,000 sound effects in the My Sound Delve app. If the standard library doesn't have what you need, you can record and import unlimited sound files with the premium version. Go to mysounddelve.com to get started. Are you hungry for fortune and glory? Then follow the clues to the Tomb of Hagamoth. Join the hunt for a treasure great enough to tempt even the most jaded adventurer. Dire Destiny Books presents an adventure for 4-6 to six characters starting at level 3 and ending at level 9, with entertaining monsters, traps, and unique treasures for you to encounter across a dozen thrilling locations. Available on DMs Guild from Dire Destiny Books, and the adventure continues at diredestiny.com. Now let's get back to the show. Let's transition now to the game you've been talking about so far, which is the Dark Veil. So I want to talk about a few different things. You mentioned, first of all, that you have designed or you designed another game back in 2014. The Dark Veil is kind of built from ideas that that game had. So tell us a little bit about Dark Veil Studios, how you got started, you know, kind of the, the, a brief history from the game you designed in 2014 to where you're at now. So Dark Veil, vale, we, you know, we, we've really ref refused saying the word Chromar for a really long time. I didn't want to even use the word. Um, we still don't use the word when we're talking about the, the planet itself because um, I just don't want the brand to be mixed. I don't want people to think that this is a second edition. To the diehard Chromar fans, they're going to think it's a second edition. And you know what? It is a second edition for them. But to the new players, this is a new game. And, and I don't want people to get caught up on the fact that there was a game previously that uses aspects of this universe. There's plenty of games out there that use the same universe and they do it over and over again. Um, I, I would you know, reference Earth in itself. How many games exist on Earth and how many of those games are different, right? Like it's the same universe of Earth. And so if you're gonna create this massive universe or this massive game that has a lot of different time periods in it, why not use a game that you've already created 10,000 years of history? 
organically from early kingdoms all the way up to a cosmic era. And you've created factions and organizations and the, the relationship between them over time. And you've got all these different places and these, these moments set up and these great story hooks. Why not use the best bits and the best time periods of that game and make something new out of that? And that's really what we did was we took the best bits of Chromor, blew up, literally blew up their timeline and rebuilt it in this brand new game. And you know, the, the, the one page on Chromor, there's a 352 page book and there's one page in there that at every convention, everyone would come up to me and go, oh, my group time travels through all the different time periods. My group loves the fact that I can time travel in this game. Oh, traveling in the different times, is all, there's all these different things I can do and there's all these conflicts. And it's a one page pullout in that book. And it was a, okay, well, we're gonna have all these different time periods. And if you'd like, there's a way to time travel through them. And that was just an element of that game and that lore. And so now, you know, this isn't a, Dark Veil is not a time travel game. Dark Veil is a game where time is literally ruptured and fractured the universe into all of these different sectors. And those sectors have been shuffled around, kind of like a puzzle that's been shuffled around. But there's puzzles from every single different time period. And all of them have been made into just one new puzzle. And so all of these pieces are from all these different times, and they're all living right next to the next one. And the Dark Veil is in between all of them. And so this is the concept we came up with for uh, the board game. You know, we're, we're making this board game, and after some time, really turned around and Chris, our art director, who uh, did some of the artwork for Cromwell years ago, and I, I met Chris through that. Really, I bought art from Chris that had inspired me and that inspired some of the elements of the universe of Cromwell. And I reached back out and said, hey, do you want to do custom work? Are you interested? And we're both a little older and you know we've spent some years in our careers. And Chris has done a ton of teaching of art and is an amazing art director and, and artist. And you know we decided hey, if we're going to do this, let's do it right. Let's do our own thing. Let's not work for someone else. We've got some skills. We've got some stuff in our back pocket that we can pull out here and make something really cool. And so the idea of these gates being the center point of the story and the lore, what the players would adventure through to travel between these sectors, it's not time travel. They literally have to build a gate to cut a hole through the veil. And so then players can move between different time periods. And, that, and that's what we kind of hit on for the story. And we said, okay, this is, this is a TTRPG. I think I called up Chris one day. I was like, it's a TTRPG. We're making a TTRPG. And there was, there was no argument from Chris. I was like, okay, yeah, the story is really fun. And so that's how Darkfell Studios came along. And you know, we, we you know, started an LLC and uh, we've got a lot of contractors, whether they're writers or artists or game designers or editors. Um, we've got a few uh, full-time employees and, or I should say, I'm sorry, part-time employees, even though I feel like we all work full-time. And, and that's where we're at today. And now, now the goal is to turn that into a full-time career for us and for many, many more. Very cool. Uh, as far as starting this publishing company then, what have been some of the most difficult parts? And then what parts have been most rewarding for you and the team? Yeah, so I mean, it's very easy time. Time is the most challenging part of trying to start a business. I have a full-time job as a director at a decent-sized company, and that is a, you know, over 40-hour-a-week job as it is. You know, working extra hours already is going to make you tired. It's going to make mistakes happen more often. 
you're going to have more wasted energy on things if you don't plan ahead. And so time is the most challenging part about starting a TTRPG company. Time is just, it's your most challenging thing. We have a Kickstarter in two days and I can't tell you, it takes me six hours before I get to the thing I want to do on the day when I'm, when I'm going. There's just too much to do. It'll eat away at you. Uh, you. You had a second part of that question. I've forgotten it. The second part is what's been the most rewarding so far? The rewarding part for me so far about starting this TTRPG company is actually, I think, kind of ties into the last thing with you know paying paying your employees. When we hire someone on, I want to pay that writer upfront for the amount of words that they're going to write. Right? Not not you write the words and then I'll pay you after if if I like them. Here, I'm going to pay you, and now you go write whatever you you know whatever we've discussed and whatever your passion is here, and let's let's be creative. So taking away that piece has been really re- rewarding and actually really fulfilling as a cultural thing for the business that says, hey, we're going to remove all of this discussion of the administrative side right up front. And we're going to be very direct with you and say, hey, what do you need? Is this the amount of money that's needed for this for you to do this job and be happy? Uh, how much time do you need? And basically just being really open with the employees. Hey, you're having a stressful day. Great. Let me know tomorrow how you're doing and we'll get back to it. We can postpone this meeting. And I think that it's really rewarding to see people that are working with us or for us have a change and say, wow, I, you know, I've, I've had people in this company say, oh, I haven't worked in a place where I felt like I wasn't going to get in trouble if something went wrong that wasn't my fault, or I'm really excited to do this because I get to do what I want here, right? Like we still challenge each other, it's, you know, don't get me wrong, like it's not the easiest thing in the world, but it's, it's a place that is rewarding for me to say like, okay, the, I'm giving these people a positive experience and it allows them to do something they love to do. And that's, that for me has been like the best high of of this company so far. You know, I, I want us to succeed just because I want that to keep growing. You know, there's a lot of cultures right now in, in the news of, of gaming companies and, and different businesses that have just fallen flat over time or they've degraded from bad leadership. And I've had some really awesome mentors and coaches teach me what it means to listen and be a leader and put people first. And I, I just want to instill that on, on our teams. And I may not be perfect all the time. I'm gonna make mistakes. I can say that right now. I'm, I'm, I've made mistakes and I will make mistakes. But I think the culture that we have right now is really good. And we have quite a few people that are working with us. And I, I'm happy to say I, I, I love working with just about everyone, well, not just about everyone on our team, I'll say. Um, it's, it's more challenging when there are third party vendors and things like that that you have to work with um, that you don't, you don't have that more of an intimate relationship with. But I love everyone on our team because they're so creative and in a nice, comfortable, open environment they can be even more creative. And that just, it's so rewarding as the person starting a TTRPG company to say, that's exactly what I want. Like that, I'm, that is it. Like I can see it, I can feel it, you know, it, that's it. That's what I want us to, to be. You've talked a bunch about the Dark Veil and you know the, the, how it started, kind of a, a brief overview about what the game is kind of like. So give us the elevator pitch about what the game is about and what people will enjoy most by playing it. It's a universe fractured in time. It has a bunch of different time periods um, that I've kind of mentioned already. Uh, you've got your kingdoms era, your steam and steel, your space era, your cosmic era, way into the future, and then the infinite realms, this demonic and angelic and places of fear and feeling and 
infinite options where you can pull things from. That's the veil itself. So these are all the different time periods and all the times are set up next to each other in sectors. And the dark veil itself surrounds each of these sectors, this purplish cloud. To pass through these sectors, uh, the Order of the Veil, one of the factions from the space era, and the Magi from early eras in the Kingdoms era, have gotten together and built gateways. And these gateways act as travel between each sector, basically punching a hole in the wall of the Veil, allowing cultures to spread between them, allowing factions to spread between them. And now the game of Dark Veil takes place one year after the time event, basically when time fractured and caused this big epic event to occur across the universe and the Dark Veil appeared. And so this is one year on. So the gates have just started. Players will be playing basically survivors of this new universe of time. The players will create their character based on an origin background that will set them up with what time period they started with, what their background's like, what ancestry are they from? That's our version of races. We don't use the word races in our, our universe or species. Uh, we say ancestries. And so they choose all these things leading up to their, you know, uh, in their origin background while they're creating their character. And then they get to an organization choice. And there's a couple things that help them guide them uh, through this organization background to choose the best organization to start with. It's basically the group that you are being funded by or that you are a part of. You play the game through a skill system. There are no attributes or other stats that you have to worry about. It's just 24 skills and you get dice for every skill. And so you might have three or four dice in one of your skills and you roll those dice on your turn to attempt successes. Fives and six are successes. The six is an exploding die, so it re-rolls. And you do this over uh, three actions on your turn. Now, the unique thing about this game is that we have um, another element of that die roll, which is the one. The one on the D6 will burn the die. And so what that means is if you're rolling three actions to climb a building, you've got four dice in fitness. And so you roll your first turn Let's say you get a couple of six, uh, you get a couple of sixes and maybe a two and a four. So those don't really count for anything. You reroll the sixes and you get a one and another two. So that one all of a sudden, even though you just rerolled it, now burned that die in your first action. You move it to the side. Now normally you had four dice for your fitness skill, but now you only have three for your next action. So then you roll again. So as you're rolling, you're burning die. It is similar to a couple of other systems I've seen or played before, but I do like the the nuances. The fact that there's not attributes is very interesting to me, and then also this burning concept. I haven't heard of any other games that's doing that. So, but I like it because it imposes some kind of disadvantage on you know further actions in the turn. But I'm assuming you get it back once it's your turn again on the next round, that kind of thing. But yeah, it kind of adds to the risk factor. When the storyteller asks the player to do something, it's called a quick reaction. So I'm asking, I ask you to make a quick perception reaction. That's one action worth of your dice roll. So you're only rolling once. And so if you roll all ones, you critically fail because you have no dice left. And if you, it's your turn and you say, well, I'm going to use my full turn. I'm going to do a stealth. I'm going to stealth into this alley so the guards don't see me. And then I'm going to attempt to climb this building to get a better vantage point. So you use your first action as stealth, then you use your next two as fitness. And so that's where the player starts to add strategy of what skills you're gonna use in what order. Because if your stealth is only two dice, and let's say you burn one of them, and then your fitness is only two dice, now you only have one die for your fitness. So you kind of have to choose what order you're gonna do these skills in. And 
every time you're rolling a six, you have the potential to fail as well, because the six is exciting. Oh, I rolled a six. I got a success and I get to re-roll it. So that's a, you know, I could get more successes here, but I could also re-roll this and get it one and burn this die. And so that risk reward factor plays through every single action of the player's turn. On top of this, every player can do every skill because every player starts with one die. So it creates this really wonderful thing, which is if you build a character that's more of a fighter type, uh, because keep in mind, you, any organization you join, you're still building a character that can also fight, cast magic, steal magic. Your organization might be a soldier type organization, but you keep stealing magic because you have a really good spell thief skill and you keep casting that magic. So your character is turning into a magi, but the organization you're from isn't a magi organization. So you're creating a character uniquely your own based on the experiences that you've been introduced to in your game. Yeah, you're not kind of pigeonholed. Yes, and because you have ones for all of these skills, even if you haven't put anything in it, imagine a character that's somehow stolen a spell, even though they have a one in their spell thief. They need five dice to steal that spell for the next 20 hours. They need eight successes. I'm sorry, not, not five dice, five successes, or eight successes to steal that spell permanently. And then they must use their other spell skills. Maybe it's matter manipulation, which is uh, spell weaving within the universe, or veil wielding, which is spell weaving of the veil itself and energy from different realms from the veil being pulled to use. And so maybe they have one and they're like, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to steal that spell that I just saw that shadow monster just do. And they roll and they get a six. And they roll again, they get another six. And for some reason, they just magically managed to steal this crazy powerful spell this fighter that's never done magic before and all the players are staring at that player going did you just learn that spell and they're like i think i did i think i just became a magi and now they have to probably level up and put points into their other skill to use that spell it's this risk reward is rewarding that player who's normally not very good at this with this epic moment that just occurred and then on the flip you might have a character that's very much a magi that's using their veil wield to open a, a gateway within the veil itself and try to, to rip a hole in the veil to try to travel somewhere. And they critically fail. They might have a lot more dice, but let's say they critically fail all their dice. That means something terrible has just happened. And so that player has now just risked opening something in the veil potentially to anywhere. And as a storyteller, I'm going to make something crazy happen. And so that risk reward for the player on every single die roll is just a super exciting element of the game. Yeah, that does sound really cool and, and different and interesting. I like that. What are some of your parting words of wisdom, encouragement, advice to anybody who is out there thinking about creating their own TTRPG or starting a publishing company such as yourself? And then the second part is, what is your best advice to GMs, GMs, storytellers out there? I'd like to think that every GM wants to do it right? Like, I, I feel like everyone wants to make their own game. And I think everyone has the ability to make their own game. And that's, that's the magical thing about TTRPGs and the functionality of them. It's, it's pen and paper. If you have a word processor, you can make a game. That's the first part. Hone in on what you're good at. I took a lot of years trying to figure out how to do game design. And most of that was listening. Listening to players, watching players, seeing how they function when certain things happen like is the player and i mean is the player happy or sad uh, what, what is the player's reaction to that moment Did, were they left with some sort of cathartic feeling after that or were they really bummed out that they rolled a one on their d20 and they have to wait 45 minutes for their turn to come back around 
watch those things and take those moments that you feel connected to and make that what you focus on on your games. If you're good at game design, focus on game design. Don't worry about trying to be a graph designer. Don't worry about those other things. Now, of course, don't try to do those other things if you're trying to make a professional game and you're not good at it. Find someone that can. So that's step two. For step one is figure out what you're good at and, and focus on that. Step two is find other people to help because I learned the hard way with Chrome War. You can't do it all yourself. It's just you're going to get to a point and you're going to cap off. There, there's going to be a ceiling that you hit that you just cannot break through. And it's going to be lack of experience. It's going to be lack of wisdom. It's going to be lack of skill, all sorts of other things, too much ego. I hit them all at one point. And so you have to really just become humble and say, I'm not good at these things. Please, someone help me. I'm a terrible editor myself. I have other editors that constantly are telling me I'm terrible at it. And you know what? I listen to them. That's the second part. Find other people to help. If you can't find anyone to help right now, that's okay. Focus on the things you're really good at. If you're a fantastic artist and you have all sorts of characters and and world to build with your art, build that with your art because you'll find someone that sees it and says, I'm a great game designer and I can't draw. And what you've just done is inspired me. That fits into this universe. Let's talk. And so build those relationships with others, be humble about it, and be honest. And this is the third part. Be honest about what your goals are. Do you want to just make a game for you and your friends? Great. That's awesome. I did that for years and I loved it. Do you want to make a game for others and sell it on a Kickstarter, maybe just a PDF version? That's awesome too. I've done something very similar to that. I did a game years ago. You have those those options, or do you want to do something that requires a lot more, I will say, years of experience and a little bit of insanity, which is create your own studio? Do you have the skills to make that happen? And be honest with yourself, because I, I still will, 10 years from now, look back and go, oh, that was a crazy idea. I can't believe I did that 10 years ago. And I'll do it 10 years from that and 10 years after that. You're always going to be learning you need to know where your limits are. And once you get to the point where you say, okay, I can do this level of a production. I can do this level of a project. I can do this. I can add on to this. That's where that third stage is. And if you feel like you're there, go for it. But talk to others. Get a mentor. I have a mentor. I mean, it's, it's one of the greatest things I could possibly do is have somebody that I can call that knows more and is smarter than me. And I can say, hey, help me out. You need to go through those stages of, is this a hobby? Is this something that I want to do on a small production level? Or is this something I want to do on a large production level? And what is my goal six months and a year from now with this? Is it just a one and done? Am I going to be happy that I did it? And I'm just going to play that game with my friends forever? Awesome. That's great. There's nothing, absolutely nothing wrong with that being your goal. In fact, I love that. If your goals are what ours are for Dark Veil Studios, that's awesome too. Just make sure that you have the people, you found those people, and you focused on what you're really good at. And, and those are my three tenets that I would give to any anyone trying to get into this industry. Otherwise, just have fun. Great, great advice. Thanks for sharing that with us. So you mentioned the Kickstarter. So give us the details on the Kickstarter. And then are there any upcoming streams or you know appearances at conventions, that kind of thing that people can look forward to? Yes. Yeah, so Kickstarter right now, Dark Veil role-playing game is the Kickstarter link. You can find it from darkveilstudio.com. If you just go to our website, darkveilstudio.com, there are all sorts of lore, 
art, free quick play, free adventure preview. Absolutely grab those. They're free. Check out our game. Check out the art direction, the game mechanics. Play your first session with the adventure preview. It's going to walk you through it as a storyteller. It's a lot of fun. It takes possibly two sessions, depending on how you play it with your players, uh, maybe even more. There's hooks on it. You can continue playing. We've got pre-gen characters. There are seven of them. Each one of them comes from a different organization. So you're really getting a, a feel of these different types of build options or opportunities. And so go to our website, grab those things. You can go on our Kickstarter page. You'll be able to see miniatures, our Dark Vale Tavern card game, which is its own card game within the, the universe of, of Dark Vale. Dark Vale, our core book, which gives you everything you need to play. Our adventure book, which is an episodic multiple adventures that you can play uh, called Gate Shuffle. And some other great rewards that we've got on there. So that's really the target. Go, go there and you'll see other things. There is a link to a actual play on Twitch. We have other actual plays coming up on Twitch. So stay tuned on our website or our Discord for more information about that. We have blogs that have a lot of that uh, information as well. There's other podcasts that are up there. We'll probably add this one to the Kickstarter as well for, for others to come and enjoy it. And that's it. That, that's, the, that's the place you want to go. That'll get you everything you need. Awesome. Yeah, this episode will be dropping in the middle of the Kickstarter. So I'll be sure to grab all relevant links and throw them in the episode notes for everybody who's interested. And if you haven't seen our trailer, go watch our trailer because it's, it's fun. Thanks so much for coming on the show. It's been a ton of fun to talk to you about your journey in TTRPGs and then also about you know building a business and building a game and what that's like from that side as well. I know, like you said, just about everybody who runs games has thought about creating something of their own and maybe trying to put it out there. So I know that a lot of people are, will uh, appreciate your advice and your insight you gave here today. Yeah, this is a lot of fun. Thank you so much for having me on. This has been fun. Thanks for joining us on How Not to DM. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to subscribe, share the show with your friends and family around the table, or write a review on Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, or Good Pods. My intro and outro music is by my good friend Torin, aka Mr. Tape. Ad music was provided by Arcane Anthems from his free library of TTRPG music. And until next time, roll some Nat 20s for me.